And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Yay! And this, Yay. <laughs> and this week we are talking about a movie which, unlike many of the movies we have watched, I suspect everyone actually knows what it is. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> the Pixar film Wally, which is probably one of the biggest movies that we have on this list. I mean, we we definitely have some like big stuff coming up, but we did watch a lot of pretty obscure stuff. We did. We did. So Wally, the 2008 Pixar movie, which we both watched within the last 24 hours. Yay us. So Joel, how long had it been since you'd seen Wally? You know, I'm not sure that I'd seen Wally since we watched it for the group that were that inspired this show. I may have seen it once since then, but I, I couldn't say for sure. It's definitely been years. I, I feel exactly the same. It's possible I've watched it once since then. If I did, I don't remember when that was. So yeah, it's been, it's probably been over, it's probably been a decade since I've seen it. What are your feelings on Pixar generally? I mean, I, I, I guess my feelings on Pixar generally are <clears throat> similar to most people's. I'm, <laughs> uh, I... I have seen almost all of their movies. I think the only ones I haven't seen are the, the the Cars sequels. Yeah. I haven't seen Cars 2 or 3, largely because the first one is the only one of their movies that I've seen that I would say I disliked. What about The Good Dinosaur? I thought The Good Dinosaur was... I mean, The Good Dinosaur is definitely a lesser... It is definitely lesser Pixar, but I don't know. There was some truly weird... <laughs> weird interesting decisions made in that movie that I kind of enjoyed at least that, that's my memory I mean you know I only saw that one once and I, it's not one that I particularly want to watch again so it is definitely it is definitely towards the bottom of the rankings but I didn't I didn't dislike it okay and you know of course they they have a pretty high ceiling their best stuff are some of my favorite movies so I I think except for the good dinosaur and the car sequels which as you said I have not seen I have watched all of the Pixar movies in theaters. Did you watch Monsters University? I did, yeah. I liked Monsters University. I like Monsters University, too. I thought it got a bad rap. I thought that one, I mean, it was kind of like, I guess it was kind of disposable compared to their best stuff, but it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was good. I also liked Finding Dory, okay. Uh, I, I was I'm a, a little bit more down on the second Incredibles movie, maybe. Oh, yes, that's true. The, the Incredibles movies I find increasingly harder to like as I get older. Yep. <laughs> They're basically like pseudo-fascist propaganda. Libertarianism <laughs> for babies, yeah. Yeah, it's a little... Uh, it's getting a little harder to swallow. I mean, there's still a lot of really fun stuff in there. And like, as just as superhero movies, they, they function really well. Like it, they're probably the, one of the better, like outside of the main Marvel, DC, whatever sort of infrastructure of superhero stories. I think they're one of the better, the, one of the better examples of it, but. Which maybe leads, maybe has a whole <laughs> own conversation to have about superhero movies and fashion. Yeah. But. I mean, yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's the same. I mean, Marvel, the Marvel Universe has the same problem. It's just a lot more blatant in The Incredibles. Yes. Wally was one that I remembered as one of my favorites. But here is the thing that has happened to me that maybe will lose us the three listeners that we have. I don't like Pixar as much as I used to. And I feel bad about it. <laughs> but I just don't. I think the first place that I noticed this was with Up, where everyone was obsessed with Up, 
And I really liked the 15-minute short film beginning of Up, and I did not really like the rest of Up, which I felt essentially degraded into, like, an endless chase scene, which is not a thing that I'm a fan of. And then Inside Out came out, and everyone really, really fucking loved Inside Out, and I thought it was fine. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I, I'm kind of with you on Up, although I'm more positive than you are, but I am, I am all in for inside out that was one of my favorite movies of that year i still it's possibly my favorite animated movie it's definitely up there it would have been better without bingo bongo or whatever the fuck the imaginary friend's name was (laughs) (laughs) everything with bingo bongo was boring and dumb i just like i still cry at them don't get me wrong but that means nothing i cry at commercials so like my crying at something is not like inherently a signal of quality although sometimes my not crying at something is a signal that's very bad but i have realized over the last few years that for some reason overall the pixar movies do not hit me the way they once did and i don't know why that is well, I, I think overall it's fair to say that to a large degree the 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 shimmer is kind of off of Pixar as a brand. Yeah. Because they had, I mean, they had that period where they did like eight or nine movies in a row that were all just great, and everyone loved them, and everyone was like, they just they never miss. They all of their movies are great, and then you know, I, like I say, I still like most of their stuff, but the the overall quality level has definitely like the average quality level has definitely dropped considerably in the last decade. In my mind, with Inside Out being a, a definite exception, but I mean, you know, I think Brave was the first one for me where I was like, I think these guys are losing a step. Yeah. So it's just not that good. I mean, it's it's it was fun, but it's not that good. Yeah, I think that a part of what has happened... Okay, so like with Inside Out, for example, that is a movie that I'm really glad it exists. I think it has really great messages for kids in a lot of ways, and, you know, not just kids, but specifically kids, about emotions and, like, good and bad feelings, quote-unquote, and I think Amy Poehler and, uh, fuck, who does sadness? What's her name? I do not know that actress's name. Phyllis. Her name is Phyllis Yeah, Phyllis from The Office, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I think that they pull off just two incredible voice performances. It just doesn't feel like it's for me anymore. Mm. And I don't know why that is. I don't love it. I want to be enraptured, damn it. I say all of this to lead us back into rewatching Wally, which I think when it came out was maybe not my favorite Pixar, but it was close. Now, see, yeah, that's that's interesting. I was going to bring it back to that, that you said it was one of your favorites, because I've always been very back and forth on this movie. My memory, at least, is that I was it was probably my least favorite when it came out. I was definitely kind of underwhelmed by it. Uh, but I, I did kind of like I watched it again and I liked it a lot more. And then I think I watched it again and was kind of like, yeah, it's, it's really good, but it's not, you know, I, I've been back and forth on it. That has been my relationship with it. In rewatching it, I found that, again, the opening 20 minute, essentially silent film <laughs> that it starts with is, I think, fucking fantastic. I was going to mention that, too. It sort of ties in. It has a similar problem to what you were talking about with Up. It Only does. more so. Much, much, much more so. In my much <laughs> more so. It turns, like, the characters, such as they are, are pretty poorly drawn when you get to the people. Not literally. They look fine, except for the fat phobic bullshit. And honestly, solidly the last half of the movie, mostly a chase scene. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah, that's it's not even it's not even necessarily a chase scene, but it's like a, a get the ball across the goal thing where the whole like they have an object that they have to get to a place and they are just trying to do it in all these various ways and have all these obstacles that get thrown up in front of them and it goes on for a long time like a really long time sure does i mean that was that was a complaint that i had about i mean i guess spoilers for avengers endgame for the two people in the world who haven't seen that if they happen to be the two people who are also listening to this podcast the 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 climactic fight in avengers endgame eventually devolved into that too the whole thing is like we have to get the gauntlet to the machine where we can whatever the thing in the van the the whatever they're trying to send it back in time again or whatever it was i don't even remember but that was kind of what the whole last like 10 minutes of that fight scene were and it just was not that interesting i was like i thought it worked better in endgame because it took us longer to get here we had stakes in this thing happening it's dumb and it takes too long it's but like, definitely more severe in in wally because it's literally like the whole third act of the movie in endgame it was like a seven eight minute sequence in a three hour movie three and a half hour movie we were invested in these characters at least you know ideally um, I was invested, and we've talked about my feelings on Marvel overall. And, you know, there was some fun stuff along the way. I mean, like, I agree with you in principle, but, yeah, it feels, like, so much worse than Wally. Like, watching it this time, I was like, this feels like Wally, who is a beautifully, fantastically drawn and realized character. They do such a good job with, like, just tiny things that make him cuter. And... Like he is, he's such a he's such a great a great drawn character. But he was made for that short. Like, come on, it feels like they took the short and then they were like, "But what if we made it an hour longer?" <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there is there's once once the people the people the human characters come into it. There's so much about the plot that doesn't even make sense at all. Uh, <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. How do we want to? Do we want to, like, run through the movie, or...? Yeah, I mean, it may have been ten years since other people have seen it, so you just may remember that there's a cute robot. And a sexy robot. There's a cute robot and a sexy robot. <laughs> a sexy robot. <laughs> My personal opinion is that they didn't want to make Wally into just a short film, because if you have just the short film of Wally, he is very cute, but the short film itself is bleak as fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it felt very bleak watching it right yeah, now. The, first off, it is just inherently, inarguably funny that Disney is making a movie about a mega corporation that destroyed the earth through too much consumerism. That sure is true. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that's that's a gutsy move on Disney's part. It's also interesting to me that, that they decided to portray the sort of existential threat to Earth's viability as were piling up too much garbage like that was specifically the thing that was the only thing as far as as far as you can tell in the movie and i guess like that's that's kind of like the the simplest version of it i guess yeah that was kind of my read is that it was it was the simplest way to talk about this thing and it's also a way that may not be as controversial right exactly because yeah even even for people who think that the idea of you know carbon emissions are destroying the atmosphere or whatever if they th think that's all junk science they it still makes sense to them that like yeah if we produce such a mass of garbage that the earth literally can't hold it then yeah that will be a problem <laughs> 
Right. It, I mean, it's, it's a child's logic argument. Like, here is this thing that we can hold in our hands. I didn't understand why if they made all these spaceships, they couldn't just make spaceships and shoot the garbage into space. Hold the, yeah, hold the space up. Yeah, hold the garbage <laughs> off. Which I'm not saying would be a good idea, but it seems like... Well, there was also this sort of, like, almost like an extra atmospheric layer of garbage floating around Earth. So it almost seemed like maybe they'd tried that, but... That's true. I gotta say, the opening shot, which is them, like coming in on Wally in the middle of all these piles of garbage and the sky is just like all haze. I gotta say after like two weeks this summer of nothing but smoke filled skies I was right. like. We live on the west coast of the US for anyone who doesn't know and we've been dealing with a lot of smoke from the, the fires here. Yeah, and that felt bad. <laughs> yeah, it. I was like, oh. The, the other, the other thing, I guess, about the the concept of you know garbage having overcome the planet is it does make for like a it makes for a striking and somewhat unique visual. In ter- like in terms of like you know post-apocalyptic visuals, it is definitely something different from what we normally see. It is very striking. I mean, it's like the opening shot goes through this city that at first looks like it's like densely packed skyscrapers and then as it gets closer you realize that like two-thirds of them are actually just literal piles of trash and they're taller than the skyscrapers yeah so we we zoom in through all of this very striking certainly landscape a song from hello dolly is playing i was gonna ask you about that because i didn't know what movie that was from and i figured you would i've I've seen hello dolly but i had to look it up i think i watched hello dolly once but i don't remember it this made me want to watch it again so there's a song from hello dolly playing and eventually we make our way through this very striking landscape and we find wally who is cheerfully it can only be said cheerfully doing his job and again i cannot i like i cannot overstate how well drawn and well are articulated he is mm-hmm. <laughs> there were just these like tiny things he like gathers up things he thinks are beautiful i assume things that strike him things that are interesting at least yeah interesting and he puts them in a tiny little cooler yeah he puts them in one of the which i had i mean everyone in the world has had one of those coolers i had one of those for years that <laughs> that red like sort of rounded cooler with the white lid that rotates on the top like yeah. it's 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 a very like iconic design and he hangs it on himself so he can carry it around and he puts things in it and he goes around and he picks up piles of trash and he puts them into his body and he turns them into little squares right he's like a little mobile trash compactor basically is what he is and then he stacks them <laughs> that's, yeah. that's that's it that's his day he has a cockroach friend who makes very cute little bing noises whenever he moves he she it i don't know they mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Wally is definitely Wally is a boy. Why is Wally a boy? <laughs> I, I mean, mean other than the name is like is gender coded to be a male. Are you hang on? Are you are you saying that it's weird that they decided to make to give them genders, or are you saying that you're not quite cl- you're not you don't quite understand why he is clearly a boy, but he is clearly a boy. Like, that one. That one. You can't put your finger on what it is that makes him a boy, but he clearly is. What are the gender markers that Wally is giving off? Is it that he likes Eve? I like girls. That doesn't make me a boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's also you know in uh, in visual contrast to Eve, he is dirty and uh, you know <laughs> boxy. Okay, but we know he is a boy before he meets Eve. Yeah, right? Don't we? How do we know that? Is it just the name? If you gave Wally the name Eve, would we associate Wally as a girl? He also has, so there's 
a couple of things come to mind. For me, at least, this was probably not a factor for a lot of people because probably a lot of his design is very clearly, at least partially inspired by Johnny Five from the movie Short Circuit. That's true. Uh, the the whole design of his head in particular, the way the eyes are attached and everything and the hands too. same thing with the hands. So that I think that's part of it for me. Like he reminds me of a robot who was from another movie who was definitely, you know, coded as a male. Although I'm sure, like I say, I'm sure that would not be. A f- I'm sure most of the little kids going to see Wally <laughs> probably had not watched Short Circuit over and over again as a child like I did. So that's one thing that comes to mind. And I mean, his, he, you know, he doesn't really talk, but like he has a voice. I mean, it's it's not like it's not like adult masculine, but it doesn't sound like a girl. Well, here's this thing. He doesn't seem like an. He seems like a little boy, right? Which makes his romance with Eve a little weird because Eve doesn't seem like a little girl. But. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. I mean, that's a fairly standard movie trope, I guess. The sort of like childish man who you know is so innocent and charming that the adult woman falls for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you see that in a lot of places. The movie Elf immediately comes to mind. <laughs> that's one of the more egregious examples, I think. But yeah. Anyway, no, I mean, I just think I, I just thought it was interesting because I was like, I know that Wally is a boy. What like I would read a thesis talking about the gender coding of Wally because like <laughs> it's just it's just interesting. There's nothing in here like his voice. I guess that's true. The Johnny Five thing is, is definitely real. But I bet that any kid going in to see Wally would say he was a boy. Right. Yeah, no, I think so, too. And I don't I, I couldn't really I couldn't point to a lot of specific things. Someone tell us why Wally is a boy. Uh, <laughs> so whatever. Wally collects things that he thinks are interesting. He goes he lives in like a tank. I mean, it's not a tank, but it's like a. Yeah, it's some sort of I mean, it was it doesn't seem to be active, but like some sort of abandoned large vehicle that has, you know, for storage or something. I, I kind of assumed that it was like he, he clearly was not the only Wally robot, but he seems to be the only one left, at least in his area. Uh, so I kind of assumed that whatever that vehicle was was designed to like move them around, maybe. That's true because he fits into the little thing. Yeah, there's like a little cubby hole that he goes into to sleep and stuff. And the, yeah, that that whole thing with like the rotating shelf and all that, he fits into that perfectly. So I assume that was initially full of Wally robots. I cannot state how bleak this general concept of a short it is, is. But great design and things like that, though. Beautiful and, design. You know that doesn't really get explained. The last waste collecting robot on Earth still cleaning up the earth while people are mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's it's he's low and he's lonely and that's like mm-hmm. like he loves his his little cockroach friend who he at least once runs over but the cockroach is fine and <clears throat> right cockroaches are basically indestructible so no harm done he, he watches hello dolly on some sort of tv setup uh he's interested in like we see in hello dolly them like holding hands and dancing and he's like trying to sort of imitate some of these things. Some of the things he collects includes like a spork. There's kind of a cute little where he has a cup full of plastic spoons and a cup full of plastic forks and he like looks at it and then just sets it in between them. And this is it. There's so many cute, just like small gestures. When he is going through this rack and putting things away, like at one point one of them is swinging and he just like reaches out and very gently stops it from swinging. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's very cute. It's very well done. 
So this is his life. One thing that I was kind of that I wondered about watching it that it didn't get into specifically, but I kind of assume. So it's we find out in the movie that it has been 700 years since humanity left Earth and they left these robots behind to clean up. And the idea was that it was going to be a temporary thing. It was supposed to take like five years and something went wrong with it, whatever. So he's been doing this for 700 years. So are we to assume that he has sort of developed this like higher consciousness and curiosity about things over that time? Or is he supposed to have had that all along? No, I believe it was developed because at the end of the movie, when he sort of gets rebooted, there's a concern that he right. may not get it back. So, OK, so that was that was my assumption as well, because a lot of if, if it was not a developed thing, then having been on the Earth for 700 years, you would think he would he, he would no longer have this sort of open curiosity about everything. Right. But the the other robots all also seem to have traits like that, and they have not been around for 700 years. That's true. Although, well, I guess maybe they have been, though, because they all would have been designed as part of the ship. That's also true. That left Earth 700 years ago. So maybe they all have been around that long. The others are just cleaner because they haven't been rolling around a garbage-infested Earth for 700 years. So I guess that I guess that could make sense. Maybe they've all sort of developed a personalities over the centuries. If people are interested in books that include many wonderful things, but also artificial intelligences that develop things over the centuries, I would like to recommend Becky Chambers' Wayfarers series that I am in the middle of reading the last book, but they are some of the best sci-fi books I've ever read, and... I really just kind of recommend them strongly enough. They're part of a, a genre that's known as hope punk, which is like a futuristic thing in which things are good and not bad. <laughs> um, like still complicated, but good and not bad. And they have all sorts of different relationship setups and all kinds of different like gen ideas of gender and sexuality and just like they're just they're beautiful books and they're also just like really funny and just incredibly sweet and i love them so much and you should definitely read them <laughs> um, i've never heard of them <laughs> i hadn't either and my friend chris was like these are my favorite books and i was like okay and i started reading them and then as i started reading them i realized that my friend mona had already read them and was in love with them <laughs> oh. <laughs> so anyway they're amazing and they deal with particularly the first book has a lot about an artificial intelligence that has like developed consciousness in a way and that essentially them developing things is is seen similarly to humans you know growing and changing and evolving and learning just sometimes over a slightly longer time scale but that the the general concept is the same hmm. uh, which i think is interesting and is very well done so everyone go read uh, the long way to a small angry planet <laughs> And by everyone, I mean mostly you, Joel, because I don't know if I'm talking to anyone else. You know? I was going to say, it's, yeah, I don't. I think I am everyone. <laughs> Good. Go read the books. <laughs> Maybe I'll buy them for you for Christmas. Anyway, so this is Wally's life. Wally's doing this thing. He seems like generally fine. This is just what he seems to feel his life is. He's. He's. I think he's. He's sort of. You know, he has his place in the world, and he seems pretty content with it. Yeah, he knows his job. He's cheerful. At some point, his like track feet thing are like wearing out and he just takes them off another robot which again is kind of bleak yeah well yeah i mean he has like this whole this whole shelf full of like spare parts for himself yeah which he has presumably cannibalized from others of yeah i mean th you know there were probably initially a store of spare parts but again it's been 700 years so anyway so one day he's out in the world and he sees or he's about to go back into his home and he sees a small red dot on the ground like a laser light. Like a laser yeah. light. And much like a cat or a dog, he begins to chase the small red dot. And 
we see that there's a whole series of small red dots coming in behind him. Anyway, it's a spaceship landing. And he kind of adorably digs himself a hole in the ground. Yeah, that, that's one of my favorite moments. He tries to run from it, but the, there's like four different jets from the engines and he can't find a way out. So he just digs straight down. <laughs> it's like, yeah. When he comes up, he sort of looks around. Eventually, this robot... Oh, there's also a moment where, where when he's trying to hide and he can't find a place to hide and he puts a rock on his <laughs> he head. He sets a single rock on top of his head, yeah. That was also incredibly cute. Yeah. Anyway, out of the spaceship comes Eve, who is a white bullet-shaped robot. Yeah, more egg-shaped, I would say. She's all rounded. I mean... The top is a little... Eh, maybe you're right. No, you're right. It's flattened a bit on top, but it's still rounded. Okay, an egg-shaped... Uh, robot who comes out who is very beautiful and white and clean compared to everything around him. And Wally is immediately obsessed and begins to chase her through everything. Well, she initially she initially shoots at him because <laughs> for some reason she has these blasters attached to herself, which I'm not quite sure what the purpose of that was since there, they had no reason to think there would be any threats to her on Earth. I guess just for the purpose of like clearing paths or whatever, maybe. Maybe, but she can fly. <laughs> Yeah, but she basically just blasts at everything that moves at first, which is a little weird. But uh, he does eventually manage to, to get close to her and introduce himself. Wally! Yeah, his, his sort of truncated speaking method. But she's very unimpressed. Like, she's just not interested in him. She clearly has a job to do that is does not involve him. So he's sort of puppy dog love following her around for a while. What is the thing that for... Is it... The plant, that doesn't come till later, because he gets her back to his house. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's, I think she kind of, you know, eventually he manages to get close to her and introduce himself and all that, and she kind of follows him around for a little bit, um, because he has all this interesting stuff. Right, and right before Eve arrived, Wally found a tiny green plant. Right, yeah, that's important, I guess we didn't mention that. It is the thing of the movie. And there's a dust storm at some point, and she, <laughs> she like, practically shoots it in when he tries to pull her away, but... He ends up, I don't know, getting her into the... Isn't that how they get into the... Yeah, I think it was... Yeah, you're right. There was the dust storm that they went into his home to take shelter from it. Yeah. Right. And he shows her the the movie and some of the things he's collected, and she's so interested. And then he shows her the plant, and she is, like, directive, which is the thing she says. Mm -hmm. And she grabs the plant, and she puts it inside herself, and she goes into a hibernation. Wally is deeply distressed and <laughs> tries to wake her up can't do it so instead he just starts <laughs> he just starts taking her all over the place right it's like he's he's like going on dates with a comatose person <laughs> he's like yeah. bringing her around to show her stuff but... during a dust storm they're like sitting on top of the thing and he covers her with a garbage can <laughs> so that she doesn't get hurt <laughs> and he takes he like wraps her in Christmas lights and takes her to look over the, the city and he wants to hold her hand and he like pulls her little arm out from her side and then his hand gets stuck in it. It's cute. It's all very cute. And then the big spaceship comes back and collects Eve and goes to take her away. And Wally cannot be having any of that, so he desperately runs and grabs onto the side of the spaceship to a ladder or something and gets pulled out of or like gets pulled out of orbits into space. All of this is very beautiful. All the space stuff is gorgeous. Oh yeah. I mean this is the animation in this is I think probably Maybe not their high point, but it's close. A lot of this stuff is really incredible. Him being on the spaceship and, like, running his hand through, like, the space dust or whatever it is right. is iconic for a reason. Yeah, I mean, it, it is every bit as beautiful as the undersea stuff in Finding Nemo, and, I mean, it's just really fantastic. Although, one thing that we did not mention 
that had already occurred at this point that I think is one of the major mistakes they made in this movie. They made the decision to incorporate live action footage into the movie, which they had never done before. And I don't think they've done since. And it worked okay with, with the, the, the old movie that he was watching. They're watching hello Dolly and it's like a musical sequence and they're all dancing and it works okay. But we also get this clip of, uh, the uh, the CEO of the company that destroyed the world and that owns the spaceships that are harboring the rest of humanity, played by Fred Willard, him giving like little speeches about how great the, the ships are and all this. And it's all done with live action, which is a weird choice because it, it would work fine if we never saw any other humans. But we do see humans for the whole second half of the movie. And the the humans are not particularly realistic. They're not designed like that's not something Pixar normally does. They have they have very sort of specific designs for the human characters and they're never really realistic. So it's, it, it makes it very there's a weird disconnect because you have this human character on screen, like live action film. And like it's integrated seamlessly. It doesn't because the the world in this opening section is so like borderline photorealistic. It's so well done that you can put in this live action stuff and it works fine. But then later in the movie, they introduce actual human characters who look nothing like the people that you saw on screen earlier. So that 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 was a major problem for, for me. It was, and it's I don't understand why they chose to do it that way. I don't understand why they just like other than because they wanted to show off how well they could. Right. Like I don't I have no I do not understand why Fred Willard was in this movie. It's very strange. Yeah, I I agree. I it didn't it didn't work very well. <laughs> and I don't know. Like when it first happened, I had totally forgotten that that was a thing. I had too. Yeah. Yeah. And when it started, I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, that's Fred Willard, I guess." Okay. So th- this is, hang on, a second. this is a this is a side note that I just discovered now because I was scrolling through the letterbox page for this movie. the The guy who the guy who's credited as the voice of Wally. Did you look him up? I did not. So his name is Ben Burt, and he's not a voice actor. He's a sound designer. He is the guy who developed the sound, like most of the iconic sound effects for Star Wars, for example. He 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 developed the lightsaber sound and Darth Vader's breathing and all that. Huh. That's the stuff that he's most known for. In fact, I think this is his only acting, acting credit. All his other stuff is like appearances in documentaries and stuff. Huh. Well, I guess he has he has acting credits in a couple Star Wars movies, I guess. But so I wonder if he like I, I, I'm curious if they're like, is there actually a voice performance here or is it entirely created sound effects? Either way, I'm I'm fascinated. But <clears throat> I hadn't realized that until just now. That's who is credited. It's the, the voice of Wally. Wally only says Wally and Eve, right? He says a couple other words. He says directive a few times. I think I think he says at least one or two other things, but very little. Yeah. And so it could very easily just be a sound effect. But I had I had assumed I mean, Eve has a has an actress credited with her voice, but I guess she says more than Wally does. She does. Anyway, so at this point, when we go into space and Wally touches the stars and it's all very pretty and then he goes into the ship and the whole movie is sort of I think it should have just ended with him touching the stars. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. I mean, for for like another 10 minutes or so, you just have more robot stuff that's that's pretty entertaining. There's the uh, Mo, the little cleaner robot who's yeah. so angry that Wally is bringing all this dirt onto his ship. And the, this, the little sequence of, of Wally just fucking with Mo is one of my favorite parts of the movie. That's true. <laughs> that is really good. He like reaches outside the lines and does it. And then Mo like cleans it up and then he touches Mo's head. And yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. But uh, that's true. That's true. That was very funny. But pretty quickly, get human characters. And... Yeah, he like finds and follows Eve and whatever, and then eventually he ends up in the main part of the ship where all of the humans have turned into 
giant pudgy babies. <laughs> so this is the thing. I almost feel like it's not even accurate to describe this movie as fat phobic, although I've, I've heard that term applied to it. And for obvious reasons, I mean, it's it's. But I, f- I feel like it's more accurate to just say that this movie just has a very low opinion of humanity in general. I think that is true. My reason, but I do think that it is important to to note and to argue that I I don't think that the point of a lot of the humor with the humans is drawn from watching fat bodies. Yeah, no, I agree. Like that that's what it is. And so and to me that that just is fat folk. like they made them into fat babies because they yes, I agree. It had a fairly low view of humanity in a lot of ways, ways that honestly didn't even make that much sense to me. But the the humor is largely derived from isn't it funny to watch these fat people like move right which is a big part of the problem with the second half of the movie is that i mean none of that stuff is that funny it's all i mean i mean none of it's really funny at all really but yeah the whole the idea that you know that that humanity would have like it just completely lost touch with itself to the degree that it has by the time their story is picked up in this movie like like never looked up from a screen yeah. Ever? And and not only that, but, like, apparently they never look at anything on their screens that is, like, curiosity-striking or awe-inspiring or anything. Like, they just look at bullshit on their screens all the time. So, like, to the point that one of... Like, there's kind of a couple of... There's the captain, and then there's two other humans that we kind of follow a little bit. To the point where, like, they they didn't realize that there was a pool on the ship that they have that have lived on their entire lives. And, like, they had apparently never looked out the windows and noticed the stars before. Like, <laughs> didn't know that space was there. Yeah, it's just all. Uh, yeah, I. I it, it, yeah, it was it was way too much. It was way too much. But again, to me, I do think that there is there are direct ties between people believing that fat people are stupid and that fatness is like a sign of intelligence and all of those things to like what they clearly thought made it funny in this movie. It was just gross and it made me mad and I didn't like it. Um, And also on top of that, like Joel says, it's just not very fucking well done. It feels so lazy compared to the first 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Which is also perfectly realized. It felt like they spent 10 years making the first act of the movie and then like an hour and a half making the second hour of the movie. It's true! <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of kind of, like, lazy 2001 A Space Odyssey stuff going on with the auto, the the robot that is the evil robot that is just a Hal stand-in. They even directly reference it with music cues and stuff that it, I don't think it earned. It's another thing that the children who go in are going to fully appreciate. Right, yeah. I mean, Pixar always puts in jokes for the parents, that's fine, but it did not they feel earned in this case. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, whatever. The captain is told they're going to go back to Earth because of the thing and the plant, and then they can't find the plant because it got... Right. It turned out that Otto and the other robots had stolen the plant because they had orders that the captain didn't know about to never return to Earth because the CEO of... What was it called? I don't remember. It was. It, it, I can't remember the name of the corporation either. It was basically like buy more shit or something like that. It was a the but buy it, and large. By and large, that's right. By and large, yeah. They had did, who apparently he was also like the president of the world. I guess. <laughs> yeah, we had determined that their their plan to clean up Earth had failed, and so he had sent this order to the ships to never return. But apparently, had not told the people about it, or if he if he did, then like memory of that had been forgotten. 
Look, nothing that happens at this part is that interesting, but what is interesting is the many, many questions I have about what is going on. Right. <laughs> like, okay, let's get this straight. People left Earth in a spaceship. Did everyone leave Earth? Right. Did so they classism and racism disappear? They didn't get into that at all. 98% white people on that fucking ship. You kind of have to assume, like, maybe there are other, like, shittier versions of the ship floating around in space, you know? Where maybe that that where the the, the pores went, um, that's a possibility. Or they all fucking died. Or they all got left behind. Yeah, that's the other possibility. So there's that because those advertisements did not seem aimed at pores. No, this is a movie that just like ignores class in any way and race really. So what happened? Two, when he initiated order, Wachimahuzet, that meant that the robots were never supposed to bring the ship back to Earth. Why didn't it remove the protocols to bring the ship back to Earth? <laughs> Right. You think they would have just stopped sending the probes back? Like, why? Stop sending the probes back. Don't yeah. make it so that if you put a plant in, that it turns you around and ships you back to Earth. There are many things you could have done that don't involve a later robotic uprising. Well, and there's also, like, they had the ability to develop these ships that are, like, these entirely self-sustaining ecosystems that can house apparently thousands of people without any kind of, like, intellectual or physical labor or input from said people. It's all entirely, entirely robotic. And yet they couldn't figure out how to clean up the, <laughs> clean up the earth. And like, this, this entirely robotic system that still functions perfectly 700 years later. But they couldn't, they couldn't figure out how to clean up earth. That's... Again, I actually think I looked on this movie even less favorably than I might have before because I've been reading the Wayfarers books, which is such a smarter view of such a smarter low bar, but still view of humanity and technology and the ways those things interact with our lives and stuff. I mean, this movie, what would you say the message of Wally is? I can tell you what I what I think they were going for. Okay. Because I think the uh, the sort of final note is don't give up. Basically, like you have to keep trying. If you just give up, then everything just sort of degenerates, obviously. And you know, I, I think that is the message they were going for. And that is kind of the you know you've got the the robots on the ship who are have this order to never go back to Earth because it's never supposed to work, and the captain who has just found out all this stuff about Earth and is fascinated by it decides that, no, we have to try. It was a mistake to give up on this. The captain is the new president of Earth. I guess, President, yeah. I mean, benevolent dictator, because there's no indication. Well, that... so this is the, I mean, it's it's for one thing, it's all a little, a little thin that he, like, okay, he watched some like, I guess, YouTube footage of what Earth was like and has yep. now decided that they need to go back. And I guess we're supposed to believe that this ship full of like human babies who have literally never walked before are going to be capable of solving the problem of making her sustainable again. Well, there's also a, I don't know, there's a, there's a level in there of like personal responsibility that somehow, you know, we made the mess and so we should be cleaning it up. Yeah. Which I, I, I think is true kind of, but I really think we do have to go back to the fact that Walt Disney about people destroying the earth with consumerism and the answer to that was for personal 
not corporate responsibility. Right. Yes. Well, I mean, it's kind of both because, like, the captain is like the you know the ship is. I mean, I guess what's left of the corporation, but there is definitely a bit of a feel of like you know the overlord being no no this is you people's responsibility yes. you clean it up yeah which watching it now felt insane yeah it was like Disney you have a lot of balls which I guess we knew yeah but like what the fuck man and I I mean whatever there's a whole scene where the captain is fighting the computer and like walks on his own two feet for right the first that was the time. that was the 2001 a space Odyssey music cue that I was not a fan of and everyone in the and all of the people who have just tumbled down the ship like giant rolling rubber balls and who are all fine apparently for those of us who may have watched avenue five this last year we know that if a bunch of people go tumbling down a ship with rubber yeah. balls some of them I def- die yeah no i definitely found myself thinking about avenue five a few times <laughs> yep and i know that avenue five was not overall liked that much i liked it a lot I was more mixed on it than you were, but it there was a lot of things in that show that were like it was it was almost too on the nose. Like uh, the second half is... I didn't like as much, but I think that in terms of a show that that I think overall does have a pretty low view of people overall, it just does it better. So anyway, the captain walks on his own two feet for the first time, and everyone's very excited. I'm like not actually sure it would be physically possible for him to walk on his own two it, feet. It absolutely would not. <laughs> I mean, because this is not actually about them being fat. It's about them having no bones. Right. That's what I was going to say. We saw like a diagram of the loss of bone mass that has occurred because they've been living in this low gravity environment and they've and then eventually got to the point where they literally never walked anymore. So they they literally they have like a baby skeleton inside an adult body. Like there is no way that he would like his his leg would just like fold over if he put weight. <laughs> which again is a situation in which a corporation has and people have chosen whatever to go on this ship but like the corporation clearly knew that this would happen yeah if it had been too long but the answer is that the individual people need to work harder and maybe go for a jog it's gross and i hate it <laughs> so much i just i just cannot like the layers of fucked up that this movie felt to me after that first 20 minute 30 minutes however long the first part take was just so much and i was like what the fuck is happening oh my god returning to the concept of this being a less threatening way to approach the idea of climate change that was indeed why i suggested that we watch this movie 10 years ago Right. Yeah, that would that that would be the tie in there. Yeah, because our parents do not believe in climate change. Yep. They think it's a liberal conspiracy. They think this in spite of the fact that, as Joel says, we live on the West Coast. We live in Washington. We've lived in Washington for our entire lives. Our parents have not lived in Washington for their entire lives. But since they're like 20, well, mom, since she was five, although east side of the state, west side of the state, since they were in their 20s. So like long time multiple decades. And in spite of the fact that these past five to ten years have been hotter and have had our skies filled with smoke in ways that have literally never happened in our lives. Just a coincidence, though. It's just a coincidence. It makes me feel insane. (laughs) Anyway, 
Yeah. Sometimes when it is the third day in the 90s, in like a couple of weeks, I picture our parents sitting in their living room with their fans going, being very hot, just being like, no, this is normal. Mm-hmm. This has happened before. It's the natural fluctuation of the planet, you know? <sighs> anyway, and so I believe... That by this point in my life, I did believe in climate change. What about you? I think I would have been uh, I would have been coming around on it at least. Yeah. And maybe not to the point where I understood how incredibly fucked we all are. Definitely not to that point. But to the point where I was like, okay, like this makes sense. It certainly makes more sense that this is happening than the idea that it wouldn't be happening. <laughs> Like, so I think I suggested that we watch Wally, both so that we could have a sort of fun night that wasn't Nazi movies or whatever, and also so that maybe we could talk about climate change, which I guess at the time we probably still would have been calling global warming. Yeah, probably. I don't think we changed any minds, unfortunately. <laughs> no. And, and, you know, in, in hindsight, this movie is not... Uh probably not the best persuasion piece but sure is not we should have fucking watched an inconvenient truth or something i still have never seen that but uh we were looking for something a little bit less divisive i guess i know and look how how well that worked out for us yeah uh, <laughs> see and i feel like my memory is that i was am wrong i i can't remember when i determined that wally was like fat phobic in a way that bothered me that was definitely not something i was conscious of last time i watched it i feel like that wasn't language I would have used because I hadn't yet encountered fat activists and all of those sorts of things have sort of given me language for a lot of that. But I do feel like it bothered me even then. I didn't love it. But whatever. The point is that, unfortunately, Wally is not actually that great. And if you were just to watch the initial Silent Shore film and just, like, stop when he touches the stars or after that little scene with Mo, and then he just, like, runs into the ship, and then you can just pretend that whatever happened to him, <laughs> just pretend he found Eve and they live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. I guess they do in the movie, but, like, you don't really need the rest. <laughs> yeah. It's particularly weird because I don't know. Did you look up what short film played before Wally? Ooh, what would it have been? Now, see, I, I probably only saw this one once in the theater, which means I probably have only seen that short film one time. So I'm trying to think of which one it might be. And I'm not because I, I think most of the ones that I really remember are ones that I ended up seeing multiple times. So I, I, I do not know. Presto. That was the one with the magician, right? Yes. Which is a perfectly fine short film. It's not great, but it's fine. I rewatched it after I watched the movie. Mm. It's cute, but it's fine. It's just like, what they should have done is maybe made a different movie and made Wall. We know they can do a 25-minute goddamn intro short film after we watch Coco with the Frozen one. Yeah. So <laughs> Jesus. I'm still mad about that. Yeah. I'm mad about it, but also, I mean, I guess if we'd waited a couple of weeks, we wouldn't have seen it. Yeah, they took it down because everyone hated it. But but I'm glad I got to be mad about it because I would have I would have watched it later by myself. Yeah. Anyway, it's not great. That's the moral of the story. It's not a great movie, unfortunately. It has some great characters, some beautiful, beautiful fucking animation. There's a scene of him and Eve playing like tag in space that is just absolutely gorgeous. So, yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, there's some, some beautifully animated sequences which contribute to an overall fairly shitty movie. Yeah, yeah I think I'm not quite as down on it overall as you are. I think I still mostly enjoyed watching it, but it is definitely lower tier Pixar. I, I feel pretty comfortable in saying at this point. Yeah. Alright, well I think that's probably all we have to say about Wally. We've actually been talking for quite a while. Uh, I wasn't sure how much we would have to say, which is how I feel at the beginning of 90% of these. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out we can always talk. It's true. 
Want to pick our next one? Yeah. So the random number generator has given me the number 55. Oh, dear God. Okay. Crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> million Dollar Baby. Ooh. Okay, see, I'm actually, like, I'm sure I'm going to feel very differently about this one now, but I'm actually very curious to rewatch that one. I mean, I was a big fan of it when I watched it. I have since realized from many wonderful disabled activists that it's disgustingly. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's kind of an interesting case study in the kind of movie that like at the time was seen as very progressive and now is seen as like humiliatingly regressive. Right. It's like progressive in this one way. Well, be it, but because it's like, aha, look, you should be able to do this. But then it's like, but you should be able to do this because no one would want to live a life that many people live. So... I'm looking forward to it. I'm, uh, All right. Well. I, and I, I feel like I've always found Clint Eastwood as a director kind of fascinating. He's he's like almost almost split down the middle for me between movies that I like and movies that I think are just fucking god awful. And I don't know if a lot of other directors, at least not directors with who have like made as many movies as he has that meet that criteria for me it's fascinating for me did you watch richard jewell no i haven't seen his last few i didn't see richard jewell i didn't see that one about the soldiers being america on the train no one likes that one but i watched richard jewell it's not great it's a confusing movie i honestly i wish you would watch it because i would like to talk to you about it. it is a weird movie and i was a little baffled by a lot of it also Kathy Bates looks freakishly like our mother in certain scenes. Well, that's and it really weirded me out. Okay. I think it's up on HBO right now. So, Joel, what have you been watching lately? So, I actually made a list this time <laughs> uh, because I keep forgetting things. And also, it's been a few weeks since we recorded, so I've got a bunch. So... I guess I'll save the HBO stuff for last because we're both watching all of that and that way we can both talk about those and then transition into yours. Clever. So the main thing I've talked about a few times over the last couple weeks, May and I have started watching horror movies leading up to Halloween, which I guess, thinking about it now, by the time this episode's released, we'll be well past Halloween, but too bad. Behind the curtain, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> it is, we are currently recording this on October 4th, so we are uh, leading up to Halloween here. So over the last few weeks, I have watched a Thai horror movie called Shutter. Shutter, like a camera shutter with tease that was really good. I had never heard of it before, but I guess it has kind of a it has a good reputation. And I found it like on a I was just I was looking for stuff to we were, I was putting together a list of, of potential horror movies for us to watch leading up to Halloween. And I was I just found a list of like, you know, the best the best horror movies on Netflix or whatever. And that was one of them. And uh, it was it was really well done, really creepy. It definitely kind of takes cue from like the, the J horror thing. It's a creepy ghost of a wronged woman thing. There's a lot of those, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I would recommend that one. I think it's still on Netflix. Although I guess who knows if it will be in a couple months when this episode comes out. So there was a, an American movie called Shudder. No, they, there was an American remake, which apparently is God awful. Oh, it is. I've seen it. I just didn't. Okay. I was thinking that Shudder, I was thinking the original was a Japanese film I, because it was marketed like The Ring. I didn't realize it was. Right. Anyway. It, was, it was Thai, which is one. Uh, it is, I, I, I've seen a couple Thai movies, but not very many, and certainly nothing like this. American Remake has Joshua Jackson, and that's why I watched it. Yeah, I think you're right, actually, because I, I remember I looked it up when we watched it, and I, I 
believe I did see that. Uh, we re- we watched Black Swan, which I had not seen since the theater. Really loved it when I first saw it, and I've owned it for quite a while, but I have not watched it again. So I I had no idea how it would how it would actually hold up. I still really love it. Oh, good. <laughs> I also haven't seen it since theaters. <laughs> I have a definite sort of I have a soft spot for like the um, descent into madness performance one of my least favorite things but better with women than with (laughs) it's i always enjoy it uh that's it's kind of an obvious choice but probably my favorite horror movie ever is still the shining and that's kind of the textbook example of that but but in fact this this is one of the few examples that i've seen with a woman in the lead role in one of those performances and i i still like darren aronofsky you know he i like him less now than i did when i was like you know in my early 20s and first starting to get into like film film things you know he's a great uh, director for your early 20s he's no, he, definitely he, he, in my top yeah. five for like the first I, I am sure that like most probably most people in like our generation who are film nerds some a couple of his movies were like really formative for sure, for sure. Yeah. and whatever i fucking love mother so yeah i i, I love mother as well and i like i it's not that i've it's i haven't like fully turned the corner on him in general where i no longer like his movies they just don't hold the same position that they used to but i did i did really enjoy rewatching black swan it's uh it is a very creepy and again it has a similar thing to mother where you're like you kind of can't help but be a little bit suspicious of aronofsky that like (laughs) he's perhaps writing himself into this in a way that is not flattering for him i mean you have the director of the ballet company in black swan that's right Played by, um, oh shit, what's his name? The friend, Vincent Cassell, who I really like as an actor. And, but he is very like, you know, sort of like creepy, sexually aggressive toward the dancers in his company. And it's all like under the guise of like bringing out the artistic things that he needs from them or whatever. That's kind of his, <laughs> so it's all that stuff definitely, it's kind of squirm inducing to watch, but it, I guess it, plays better in a movie like this because it's supposed i mean it's supposed to be it's part of like the overall sort of grimy gross thing going on you do kind of have to wonder if his character isn't a little bit of a of a self-insert from aronofsky when joel and i went to go see mother in theaters it was definitely oh god theaters but what a great experience we were in the theater and there were it was not super full but there were other people there and we were the only people who were laughing yeah. <laughs> <Repeatedly>. <laughs> <Yep>. and <laughs> we both had such a kick out of that movie. Oh, it was so else. fun. It was so fun. I Silent so horror. Much. Like, could not believe that they had paid money to see this. Yeah. Yeah. And when the movie ended, the first thing out of my mouth was, is Aronofsky okay? <laughs> <laughs> because I think maybe not. Yeah. And then we left the theater and a couple was leaving the theater, was driving away, stopped the car. We were walking out to the, they stopped the car in front of us, rolled down the window, and the woman said, did you just leave mother? And we (laughs) said, yes. And she said, wasn't that just the worst thing you have ever seen? Right. Mother is uh, infamously one of the few movies ever to receive an F cinema score, which is like a basically an exit poll for movies. There have literally only been like a couple dozen movies to ever receive an F because most people, when they're coming out of a movie, they're in a good mood and they're going to give it like a, a reasonably high score, even if it's not very good. It's rare for a movie to actually provoke hatred from like a broad audience. We had a great time though. So yeah, no, no, no I, one pulled us. Yeah. So anyway, Black Swan, still very good. Still liked it a lot. Natalie Portman's great. We watched The Silence of the Lambs, which I think this is my third time watching it. 
And it's always been one of those movies for me where like I always liked it, but I never really connected with it. And it's always been one of like I hear every time I hear people talking about it, the thrust of the conversation is always how it's one of the best movies ever made. And I was always like, I don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's good, but like I don't get what people are talking about. I got it this time. I finally connected with it, which I was very pleased about. So three times is the number of times I would have to watch it to feel. I mean, you know, maybe it would be never for you, but it is still, you know, Mads Mikkelsen is still my Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal is probably my favorite TV show of all time. Mads Mikkelsen is your whole heart. Don't yeah, I mean, yeah, but I did. I did really. I thoroughly enjoyed The Silence of the Lambs this time. There's a lot of stuff that a lot of good, like, you know, sort of second layer stuff going on that I hadn't really picked up on before. Really well done. Yeah, I need to I need to rewatch it. I've only seen it once. There's a I mean, there's a thing going on, particularly early in the movie that I almost can't believe I didn't notice when I watched it before, but I didn't remember it with Clarice in the FBI offices where I don't I, I don't know how tall she is. I'm guessing not very. Jodie Foster. Probably not very, but they clearly cast all of, like, the background people. Literally, she's walking through this building, through the hallway. She gets in the elevator. She's going through different offices. And literally everyone else in the building is a dude in a suit. And they're all head and shoulders taller than her. And they're all turning to look at her when she walks by. And, like, it's it's very – it's really well done and kind of does a really good job of setting up a lot of the thematic stuff that – goes on in the movie. According to the internet, she is 5'3". Yeah, that's, that's probably about right. And I suspect everyone else in those scenes was over six feet tall. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that that I, ju- I just wasn't really picking up on when I last watched it years ago. So yeah, that was a, really like that one. We watched, <laughs> we watched a movie uh, that was on Amazon Prime that I discovered, again, just like looking for stuff to add to the list of stuff to watch for Halloween. I was just looking through their horror tag and I found this one called A Chinese Ghost Story. It's like a, I think... 70s or early 80s kind of like horror comedy slash like wuxia martial martial arts epic and it's like very cheaply made but it was a total blast it was very fun there was a lot of like really cool super low budget like monster effects stuff going on particularly at the end apparently it is a bit like it's kind of like a cult classic in uh in hong kong i was not familiar with it but Really enjoyed it. I would recommend that one as well. Have you heard about the new Netflix movie, The Devil All the Time? I have. I have it on my list, but I haven't watched it. I watched that one as well. Do you know much about it? I do not. So, if, I mean, if you're you're going to watch it, I don't want to get too into it, but it has a truly ridiculous cast. I don't, have you looked at the cast list for this movie? I have. That's why it was on my list. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's insane. We've got Tom Holland, Bill Skarsgård, Riley Keough, Jason Clark. Sebastian Stan. This is just me reading through the order that they're on letterboxed here. Uh, Eliza Scanlon, Mia Wasikowska, Robert Pattinson. It, it goes on and on, and then you get into, like, familiar character actors. It, it really is a ridiculous cast. I don't even know how they got all these people together. Um, and it's very much like a, it's like a it's a sort of rural period crime movie about corruption and poison religion and how it ruins everything. And it's it basically it's it's like someone made a movie just for me. It's right, uh, <laughs> right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> and it's based on a novel that apparently is very well regarded, although I was not familiar with it. Unfortunately, I think 
my theory, at least, is that this is an example where the people who wrote the movie were too in love with the novel because there is voiceover narration throughout the movie that is actually done. It is performed by the author of the novel and it's really great prose. And they obviously loved the prose and wanted to preserve it in the movie. But the end result is that you have a constant stream of voiceover that is explaining to you what you're watching on screen. And it's the worst kind of voiceover. And it really knocked the whole movie down a few pegs for me, which is very unfortunate. Like, I would I would very much like to see a cut of this movie that just didn't have the voiceover. There's a lot of good stuff in it. It is, I mean, it is dark. This is <laughs> this is a grim movie. I don't know if you've been prepared for that, but there is a lot of good stuff and a lot of really good performances. Tom Holland's great. Robert Pattinson is clearly having a blast, but it is a, it is a very, very dark movie. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. I would say prepare yourself before you sit down to watch it. Cause yeah, in the end, a bit of a disappointment, unfortunately. Real quick. A few more things. We watched It Follows as part of our Halloween lead up, which I think I saw that movie three times in the theater. I really loved it when it came out. And fortunately, turns out I still really love it. I hadn't watched it in a long time, but I think that movie's creepy as hell. I think there's a lot of really cool directing decisions being made. Really interesting thematic stuff going on. But really, yeah, really into it. I still love that movie. It's probably like top five horror movies for me. And then yesterday, because yesterday was October 3rd. We watched Mean Girls, which I have seen several times now and do still generally really enjoy. Amanda Seyfried is absolutely hilarious in that movie. <laughs> I This is one of the things that stands out to me every time I watch it is how goddamn hilarious she is in that role. Yeah, so uh, I think, you know, everyone's seen Mean Girls. Probably don't need to go into that too much. But So TV, I've watched the first couple episodes of the new season of Fargo that are on FX now. I'm a huge fan of, of Fargo. First three seasons I absolutely loved being a, uh, a devoted Coen Brothers fan, I just got a, a never-ending stream of serotonin from watching the constant references to Coen Brothers movies in that show. Um, and also just, again, it's it's this like sort of like rural cre- period crime drama. It's exactly up my alley. I mean, I really liked the first season. <laughs> I mean, the first season is kind of a loose adaptation of the movie. They do a lot of really interesting things with it. Also, it had What's Her Face, who I adore. Anyway, I Pullman? adore. Did Alison Pullman? Pullman? Yeah. Yes, I think that's right. She's great. Um, yeah. She's fucking amazing, and I love her. And I liked the first season a lot. And then the second season filled me with rage. And then I and then someone was like, well, if you didn't like the second season, you probably shouldn't watch more. So I haven't watched more. Yeah, probably not. Season four, they changed the setting. This one, even I mean, it's always been a little bit odd that Fargo was not set in Fargo. And that was true <laughs> with the movie as well. But this season is set in St. Louis, uh, and it's about like 50, 1950s gangsters with Chris Rock as the lead of the the sort of the black gang. Oh, yeah, I think I saw that he was in that. And he's good. I, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of Chris Rock as an actor, so I don't have a lot of context for it, but he's he's good. The sort of main element to the plot is that there's these two, there's an Italian gangster family and this black gangster family that sort of split the town between them and they have made peace by coming up with this arrangement where it's, it's almost like a medieval hostage trade where they each raise the they each family raises a son of the leader of the other family hmm. which is kind of it's, it is interesting and the so far though it is not it definitely does not hold up to the first three seasons for me for one thing this isn't necessarily a problem with the show itself but it is a problem as far as my enjoyment of it it does not it is not just like packed to the gills with coen brothers references the way the first three <laughs> seasons were there's a few but they're they're not as as dense 
And also the head of the Italian crime family is played by Jason Schwartzman, who I really like as an actor, but is, in my opinion, just really badly miscast here because he's one of those people who I find kind of like inherently funny. And it just it feels a bit like he's he's just a bit too broad and he he certainly never feels threatening in any way, uh, at least not so far. Yeah, I feel I feel like when I've seen him as a villain, usually it's sort of in more of a joke. Like he was a villain in Scott Pilgrim, right? Right. But yeah, but I mean, like these broad comedic villains. Yeah, his villain in Scott Pilgrim is perfect for him. But in this case where he's actually supposed to be like, I mean, he's not supposed he's supposed he's his, you know, his father, he he has like just taken over the family in like his father dies in the spoiler. I guess his father dies in the first episode. So he's kind of just taken over the family and he's, you know, he's he's clearly not like the strong leader that the family wants him to be or whatever. But he I don't think he's supposed to come across as comedic at all. But I, I just can't not get that vibe from him. So that's I'm going to keep watching it. We'll see how it goes. But at this point, it's definitely a bit of a step down. OK, so now I'm I'm to the HBO shit. I assume you're still uh, you're still watching all of the shows we've been talking about. You're still doing Lovecraft Country. Still am on it. And I liked last week's episode. I was so happy. It was the first okay. one I've liked in like three weeks. OK, I, I, I like I liked the last week's episode somewhat i don't know i i have a recurring problem with this show I, I, again like we're going to be getting into spoilers here for it i guess i have a recurring problem with this show where they keep they keep going in directions that i feel like they chose because they're thematically and or visually interesting but they don't seem to really like line up plot wise with anything else that's going on i feel like the show seems to be having a hard time determining how much it wants to be run by plot yeah <laughs> Well, and they also keep the second episode definitely had a problem where because the, fir- the first episode, the pilot was really good. It set up this whole like broader story. And then the second episode felt like they crammed the whole rest of the season into the second episode. And I, f- I feel like th- this episode had a similar problem. I thought the whole the whole story of Hippolyta going to these uh, parallel dimensions, I guess, and sort of like learning about herself and her own strength and all that did not feel like a story that could or should be told in you know, one part of one episode, it felt it all just felt like they were just, it was like montaging something that should have been at least a couple hours of storytelling. I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying, but I didn't feel that at all. I, yeah. I really, really enjoyed this episode. And also it was way less gory than the last episode. I, I mean, the, the last not episode, in the, mood. the last episode really kind of like peaked out on the gore levels. That was really gruesome, which in is a not- way that felt like was I thought I felt like it was fucking unnecessary honestly yeah. I felt like it took away from the thing last episode like I was like they should have showed in my opinion who is not running a show and obviously but whatever for me if they had showed the first scene of the transition happening that was like him that was like him like tearing her apart on the floor in shadow and then like showed her like change one other time maybe in the scene with the boss if we had to have that but they just kept going yeah. And I just kept, I was just like, okay, like I get it. And I didn't like watching it the first time. And I know I wasn't necessarily <laughs> supposed to like watching it the first time, but apparently this is half your goddamn episode. Well, see, that's the thing. I think this, in the mood. one of the things about this show is that it's kind of like bouncing around and trying to include a bunch of different things that all kind of fall under like the fantasy horror umbrella. Right. And so it, different episodes are doing different things. That episode was clearly a bone to the gore hound type of horror watcher. I mean, Yes, and that is not me. It's not me. Yeah. So. Uh, but I, I don't know. I thought the Hippolyta stuff was great. I cried. I. It was the. It was genuinely. It was the first time since the first couple of episodes that I've been like really invested in the whole episode. 
Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I don't know. I'm. I'll, I'll at least keep watching through this season. I'm liking it enough to carry me through. But uh, how are you feeling about we are who we are at this point? Is it who we are or what we are? We are who I think who we are. Yeah. Yeah. There's also there. There was a there was a horror movie called We Are What We Are that I watched that was several years ago. So anyway, I, I keep getting yeah. Was that the one with the cannibal family? Yes. In fact, I think there was two of them. I think the original was like a Spanish movie, and then there was a U.S. remake, which is the one that I saw. But anyway, I also saw that. I am definitely liking it better. The first episode I found I found really off-putting and confusing, mm-hmm. um, and I read or listened to the still watching episode about it, and it really helped me like contextualize what he was doing with his other movies. Also, I believe that last week I said that I had not seen the movie that he did with Dakota Johnson, and that was a lie. Apparently, I have seen <laughs> it, and I don't remember it. Well, he's done two with Dakota Johnson, but you're talking about a bigger splash, right? I am. Yeah. Now I want to rewatch. I haven't seen that one. I have not seen Suspiria, though. I told the truth there. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so I have been liking it a lot more as it progresses. I think that first episode was just a real challenge, and I still don't exactly know what's going on in a lot of the relationships, mm-hmm. but I am definitely finding it fascinating. Um, and it only ha- I think it's only running five episodes. I think it only has two more to go. Oh, really? So I believe that's correct. Yeah, you could be right. I don't know. So I think it was just set up as a mini, like a mini mini series. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I I have been liking it quite a bit. I have found it interesting and like resonant with what he has done in the past for sure. Oh no, I'm incorrect. There are eight episodes. Resonant with what he has done in the past for sure, but also kind of new and interesting. I don't know. I'm into it. Are you liking it? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's one thing that that struck me is kind of interesting. I think it is the first movie or TV show like non-documentary thing that I have seen that directly confronts the Trump thing. Yes. It's not like a major theme. It's a background thing that's happening, but it is definitely a thing that's happening. But I, I find that interesting. And yeah, I mean, both of the both of the main kids are really good. There's a whole, there's a, he is, he remains one of the like generally least likable kids that I've ever, that I've ever watched. Although I like him more now than I did at the beginning, but I laughed a lot in the last episode where he was talking to the, like talking to uh, Harper. I don't know what pronouns Harper prefers at this point. I don't know if Harper knows. And, uh, <laughs> and like, is like being so fucking pretentious. When he's talking about poetry and her, her fashion poetry. choices and stuff. Her yeah, no, that was just yeah. the cookies. Like yep. he's just, <laughs> um, but it made me laugh a lot. Yeah, yeah. Even as someone like I do not have your sort of affinity for teenagers, and but it that definitely struck me as like, oh my god, that is such a like fifteen year old thing to say. Like, and the, like a specifically fifteen year old boy who's like, I don't know. There's there's some really there's some really like sharply observed, right? Sort of like the the self conscious outsider thing. Yeah. Yes. As, yes. Yeah. Some very sharply observed stuff that I think is. I suspect if I had experience with the subculture of military, particularly overseas military, I would I would not be surprised if a lot of the stuff really resonates very strongly with that mm-hmm. subculture because I feel like we're just so involved in this and I mean who knows I mean maybe it's maybe it's not but it feels to me like this creation of a subculture that probably would resonate a lot more if I was aware of it but in general and like all of the drama between like Harper and their boyfriend breaking up with them and the the friend like like, there's just a lot of like weird weird drama weird sparks but that all feel really feel, feel really accurate and real to me in a way that I I am I am enjoying also 
as is the case with many things like this, I am so worried about all of these kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, There's I'm, so much drinking. I'm, uh, I'm also increasingly interested in the degree to which his mother, Chloe Savinia's character, seems to just be like a monster. <laughs> She's just such a fucked up person. Not just in her relationship to him, but in, in all aspects, it seems she's just terrible. She's really awful. In a way that I find really fascinating. And her wife is flirting with Harper's mom now? Yeah, seems to be. Well, we don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe they have like an open arrangement. I, I think that's possible. I think that's possible and even probable, but I think that fucking your underling when you are... Right, exactly. <laughs> no, that's what I was going to say. So like her, you know, Alice Braga's character, Maggie, I think is her name, is okay. She's She maybe is fine in what she's doing, but... But Sarah, the other mother, is going after her uh, sub- direct subordinates in a military setting, which is like... She's in charge of the base! <laughs> like, yeah, right. Everyone there is her subordinate. But this dude in particular is like, he seems to be like her XO. Like, it's it's real bad. <laughs> real predatory. It is. And I fucking love Chloe Sevigny. I think she's amazing. And this is a role that I have never seen her or maybe anyone in before. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And the the level of like constant like the level of constant like violence in their house, mm-hmm. and the way that it's just part of their dynamic, yeah. Yes, like the first time when he hit her, it was so like what the fuck, but like now I feel like as we're seeing more, you can just I don't know. It's there's a lot happening. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I'm into it, but whew. yeah, yeah. No, it's it's good. And then the the other thing is the third day, which. I watched the recent, most recent episode of Yesterday Morning, and I'm still I, I'm getting more and more into that one as it goes. I'm I'm very into the mystery. I really enjoyed the the sort of reveal in this episode. Of we you know learned some big facts about what's going on, and it's all working for me. I'm really into it. No, I'm I'm also very into it. I love their consistent attempt to make Jude Law less pretty. Yeah. failing completely yeah. but <laughs> they're, li- they're literally like cutting his face up and he's still like statuesque <laughs> yeah. yes exactly he still looks like a Greek god walking among these people but yeah. uh, whatever it's fine I did laugh really hard at the last episode where he was an acid or Molly I don't remember what it was mm-hmm. he took but I was just like really Jude Law <laughs> yeah no like I had that the I had that thought the most acid trip ever yeah, he had, he had already been convinced at one point that someone was chasing him, and he'd been talked down from that. But like, really, you're going to take acid after that? <laughs> clearly a bad idea. But he's also, also like, have you never watched anything? Don't take drugs on the creepy island. Just don't do yeah. it. Yep. That has only ever worked out okay for what's your face in midsummer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Depending on how you read, okay. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see where this one's going to go. I, I'm fully on board at this point. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really enjoying it for sure. I think it's a really interesting, cool, good Halloween fodder. I don't know. It's 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 good. I'm into it. <laughs> also, I noticed, like, I saw another little trailer for it before one of the other ones that I watched. And I noticed Naomi Harris, who has not showed up in the show yet after three episodes, but she was in the ads. And I love Naomi Harris, so I'm very excited to see her show up in it, too. I don't know how she's going to fit into it, if she's his wife or I also I was gonna say this may be a spoiler for Thursday. I just saw it on the IMDB list. Jude Law is only listed as being in three episodes. Well that's interesting. So maybe there's a time jump. There could be. There could be. Him going in like at the end of the last episode. It, it could also be like 
IMDb listings for TV shows that are still in progress are kind of notoriously unreliable uh, in terms of cast and stuff like that. So it could just be one of those. But there could also be a time jump. That would be interesting. It specifically says three episodes. And then uh, Emily, Emily Mortimer. Uh, no, Emily Watson. Emily Watson. Yeah. The, the innkeeper. The innkeeper, who I love. Yeah. So good. Yeah, she's great. Also, they are like, her eyes are so blue. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, I mean, the, man, the, the whoever was in in post-production, they were just going fucking nuts on the color saturation in the show. It's, it's very striking. They're obviously... Anyway, but she's listed as being in all eight episodes. Hmm. It's just him is listed as being in just the first three. Interesting. So, well, we'll see. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, no, I'm, I'm into it. It's been good. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so let's, let's hand it off to you here. What else have you been watching? Okay, so let's see. I'm going to to start with Joel and I had a plan to watch every Disney movie uh, which I still want to do and continue doing at some point however and this is where I'm telling you live on the air Joel I assume you weren't really dying to watch the Disney Channel original specials that didn't seem up your alley no that I, I wasn't thinking of that as part of what we were doing no oh good I didn't want you to feel like I was doing something else so Chris and I are watching all the Disney Channel specials okay which has been great kind of we haven't gotten very far yet but we have we have a list it's like 105 of them or something starting in the mid 90s the late 90s and the first the first well, not the first one we watched, but the one we watched last week was what called You Lucky Dog that had Kirk Cameron in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's truly one of the most troubling things I've ever witnessed. He is like a dog psychic who, when the dog gets too excited, he like gets possessed by the personality of the dog. <laughs> And so, like, half the movie is him wiggling his butt, like, a lot, and, like, running around pretending to be a dog, and it was really troubling. I don't recommend it, but you could probably find, like, a clip on YouTube or something. (laughs) How bizarre. But the next one we watched was called Brink, exclamation point included, that is about a bunch of rollerblading kids. Sure. Who are having... 1998, man. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Who are having beef with each other for various things. And I loved it so much more than I thought I would. It is so fucking sweet. Like, the kids are, like, good, sweet kids. They're not... Like, there is a villain kid who is an abusive person and horrible and gets his in the end whatever but like the, for the re- the rest of the kids are just like genuine and really trying to support each other and are pure and sweet beans and i love them <laughs> and there was no romance or anything it was just it was just these kids and it was really fun and i liked it a lot and it made me more excited for this project we are next going to be watching halloween town which was one of chris's favorites when she was a kid that one is a classic from what I understand. I've never seen it. No, I've heard. Yes. Um, and it's cool because they're all like 90 minutes or less. So that's fun. Yeah, we've been watching a couple of them at a time. I'm excited for the project. I was I was pretty sure you wouldn't care that I was doing this, but that was... No. <laughs> you did not seem like the person to appreciate this with. No, probably not. And then I realized that because so much of what I've been doing lately has been watching through lists, I've been watching, Eric and I have been watching through Ebert's list and the 100 movies of the past 10 years, and Mm -hmm. Chris and I are watching, and they're all so overwhelmingly Mm male-directed, I realized I was behind on my goal of watching at least one female directed for every three movies I watch. Last week, Eric and I watched Ali, Fury to the Soul, which I hadn't watched since the first time I saw it, and I still fucking loved it, and Eric likes it a lot, um, and I just need to watch more Fossbinder at some point. It's it's such a good, weird... Anyway, so I moved on to... Uh, I went to go see Criterion, because a lot of times Criterion has female-directed like a, a collection that you can go look mm-hmm. at, which they did, and there's a lot of cool stuff in there. 
Uh, and the first things I watched, they had two movies by Dorothy Arzner. You know who she is? Uh, the name is familiar, but I... I didn't really know who she was. But apparently, she was a queer female director in the fucking 30s hmm. who actually got to make a couple of her own movies. But apparently, she had some silence, some silence, but these weren't silence. I watched, uh, there was one called Working Girls and one called Merrily We Go to Hell. I've heard of that. And they were they were pre-code movies, which I have not watched a ton of pre-code movies. Right. They were super fascinating. And they're like 75 and 80 minutes. They're both they're both upon Criterion. I don't know if they will still be whenever people listen to this. But for you, they're both upon Criterion. They were very interesting. And I was into it. So there's that. And then I watched uh, The Loveless, which is one of the few Catherine Baylow movies I hadn't seen. It was fine. It was very visually striking. I believe that her co-producer ended up being a, a DP for uh, Lynch at some point. Mm. So it was very visually striking. I can't say that the movie itself like did a ton for me, but it was like interesting to watch, I guess. I and then I was like, I'm going to watch Agnes Varda. And I <laughs> because they have a whole collection of Agnes Varda. And that's... That is a huge. Um, I don't think we're using blind spot anymore. I think that is an ableist. I believe that is an ableist term. So I, I haven't found a good. I haven't found a good. Uh, I guess that makes sense. I had not heard had not heard anyone complaining about that one, but I guess it makes sense. I haven't found a good replacement. That was the thing. Um, so I'm still thinking about. It's that. a gap in your experience. Yeah, it's a, it's a gap in my film viewing. So I decided to start. They have, I think, almost everything she directed right now. Up on Criterion. Well, they, yeah, they probably do because they're 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 prepping this box set that they're going to put out that is her entire filmography. I mean, right. So I decided I would start by watching all the short films, and then I would go back and start watching the feature-length features. And I think of the fe- I, I have seen, I think I saw Chloe from five to seven, and then I saw One Sings the Other Doesn't, which I fucking loved. But that's about it. I have not watched <laughs> most of her filmography. So yeah. So at this point, I have watched. 10 of her short films some of the some of my favorite ones were the couple at the beginning which were actually like tourist things she made she was like employed by france to like make this one's called like along the coast and is about like the french riviera and people on the french riviera and one is a saison's au chateau i'm butchering that but is about the these like castles that were built in france and like sort of about them and there's this scene in the in the first one with about the castles where she just has women dressed in these like brightly colored like evening gowns with gloves and just like wandering around the castle and it's amazing and i was obsessed with the clothing in so many of these movies. Apparently it's just a time period. We're talking like the 50s. But because Varda has such a has such a fascination with just people. So like along the coast, it's a lot of like, it's a lot of just shots of people on the beach. And they're beautiful shots, beautifully composed shots. But I feel like it feels like you're really watching people and like you're really seeing the fashion at the time. And it's all really beautiful. And I loved all of it. Nice. Anyway, so there's, there's a lot of cool stuff. I think I have like six or seven more short films to watch and then I can start the we'll see if I get through them before Criterion takes them down but I will do what I can so that's been cool and television wise I watched what is up right now of the second season of Pen15 have you watched Pen15? I still have not watched any of that now it was good it's definitely less the first season I think is funnier second season like they sort of progressively get into like harder things for these kids so um, I think it's a little it's still just as awkward. Right. Little, you know. So I watched that. I finished the second season of Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts, which is cool. I've heard great things about that one, but I have not haven't watched that one either. 
That one's a fun show. Eric and I are watching the Jurassic Park or Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous uh, cartoon, which has been cute. I don't think I know about that, but oh, it's a new Netflix thing. Um, okay. It's a yeah, it's an animated show about a bunch. <laughs> they have opened a camp for children at Jurassic World. Sure. And the first, the first kids who get to visit because they've won things or whatever. Um, so there's like six kids. I think I would have loved it when I was a kid. It, it's cute. Like so far, I'm I'm into it. Okay. You know, it's not amazing, but it's it's fun and it, it has the benefit of having all the Jurassic Park music. So. Right. Yeah, that goes a long way. Yeah. Ducktales is back. Bob's Burgers is back. Yes. So that's exciting. I, yeah. Did enjoy that first episode yet? And I'm watching three season four of The Good Place again because it just dropped. On Netflix. Oh, okay. And I think that I had already rewatched the first three seasons and then realized that the fourth wasn't up yet, <laughs> which was annoying. right. But whatever, it's fine. So that's mostly what I've been what I've been watching. I think I'm still watching The Vow, which I guess is the one HBO thing you're not watching. Yeah, I've been doing that one. I have a lot of I don't know. I I have a lot of thoughts about The Vow that I think it lands really differently from a lot of cult things in a way that I find really interesting <laughs> because like functionally, like a lot of times I love I love cult shit as you know, and when you are watching things about cults. What is frequently the case is that people are in a bad place. They're vulnerable in some way. Uh, and then the cults brings them in during this time. Hmm. And I, I don't know if you can really make that argument for Nixia. <laughs> like, these are extremely traditionally attractive people because they literally won't recruit you if you're right. not skinny. Yeah. Um, so extremely traditionally attractive people, people who are acting, people who are like doing pretty well in various careers and who are just like suffering from a sense of ennui, essentially. <laughs> like they just feel like they aren't doing anything with their lives and they want to, which like, okay, I guess, but... <laughs> Less compelling. Less compelling. Also, it cannot be ignored that... So part of the thing about Nixium is that they had, like, this cult within a cult where they would, like, recruit women from within the within the larger organization to this group that was supposed to be all women. And that led to, like, the branding and some of the more dramatic things that came out of Nixium. And part of the way that worked is that these women, you would, you would get a master and you would be their slave. Of course. And if you do a good job as the slave, then you, it's a pyramid scheme. You move up and you get your own slaves. Mm. Three slaves and one master. And as best I can tell, and they do talk some about like the racial implications of this, but in order to join the super special secret club and get your very own master, you have to give them collateral so that you won't leave. The collateral has to be something. Sometimes it's naked pictures. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's other stuff. Now, the main woman in this, there's there's several. There's sort of a grouping of them. But one of the main ones, she claims that she ran out of collateral to give and that they were like, just make stuff up. Just say, you know, mean shit about your husband or whatever. I cannot help but feel that we know that all of these people gave some kind of collateral <laughs> and that if you are concerned about that collateral coming out... One way to get ahead of that might be to make a docu-series. 
in which you where are you claim that you are making stuff up where you claim that you are making stuff up in which you claim that you are exclusively the victim because this is a complicated situation like don't get me wrong I am not saying that Nixium is like okay Nixium is not okay like the, the leader Keith is the worst he literally met with the Dalai Lama did you see people talking about this on Twitter yeah two episodes ago. he yeah. met with the Dalai Lama and as he was walking away with his people they like filmed him being like I really wish that I could just like help him with the socio-political things but I don't think he's ready for that mm-hmm. <laughs> he's the worst and I am not saying like there is no doubt like some like bleh, gross shit going on in which you know the the head of the slave master pyramid is Ali Ali Mac or whatever her name is and like there are situations in which one of the things that the master tells them to do is to like go seduce Keith except that like Keith knows about all of this like there is no doubt some like non-consensual shit that is happening and and things that are being coerced at the very best right Mm -hmm. all of that is true and I am not saying it is okay I am saying that I am concerned by the lack of responsibility that some of the like this main woman that I'm talking about, she was running a fucking center mm-hmm. for years. She recruited a lot of people. And it is possible that the that the film is just not shot in such a way to show some of this, but I don't feel like she feels that bad about it. <laughs> Mm. Like, I feel like she feels guilty, kind of, but like mostly she's upset about her own shit. And I get that. And it is a complicated thing to be the person recruiting for an abusive organization in which you have also been abused. Like, all of that's complicated. It is just, I feel there are nuances of the story that feel like they're being left out, perhaps because they're being told mostly by the people in the story. Right. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting watch. I'm not like mad I'm watching it, but I definitely I definitely did not come out of this being like, ah, yes, these people are 100 percent victims and nothing else. Mm. <laughs> like, I think it is a more complicated scenario than that. But whatever. So that's the other thing I've been watching and having thoughts about. OK, I think that's it. Yeah, I think so. So I guess we'll see y'all next week for Million Dollar Baby. Well, not next week, two weeks. (laughs) We'll see you all in two weeks for Million Dollar Baby. Woo-hoo! Okay, bye! Bye!